Genesis 43, 1 to 15. The return to Egypt, the second journey to Egypt because of the famine. Now the famine was severe in the land. So it came about when they had finished eating the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. Judah spoke to him, however, saying, The man solemnly warned us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you do not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Then Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly by telling the man whether you still had another brother? But they said, The man questioned particularly about us and our relatives, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? So we answered his questions. Could we possibly know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to his father Israel, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, we as well as you and our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. You may hold me responsible for him if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you. Then let me bear the blame before you forever. For if we had not delayed, surely by now we could have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best products of the land in your bags and carry down to the man as a present. A little balm and a little honey, aromatic gum and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. And take double the money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and arise, return to the man. And may God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man that he may release to you your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present and they took double the money in their hand and Benjamin. Then they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. Amen. This account is in the middle of a sequence of events stemming or starting from chapter 42 and continuing through chapter 45. And that is the famine and then the aftermath of the famine and what it has to do with Jacob and Jacob's household. We've come to 43 where they are going to return to Egypt. They've already been there once and as we just read, they were interrogated by Joseph, though they don't know it's Joseph, their brother, interrogated by him as to what is their actual purpose in being there and who their relatives are. That's how they were able, uh, or that's how they were able to get grain, and Joseph was retaining um, in custody Simeon 
and asking for Benjamin also to come without naming him. They just said, bring your youngest brother the next time. Otherwise, you will not see my face. Well, they do present themselves by the end of this chapter. And we just read the permission of Jacob to do so. Well, verse 1 reiterates the fact that the famine was indeed severe in the land. It was happening according to the will of God, seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine, and it is being carried out exactly as he had predicted. And this famine famine was so severe that this is repeated often in this narrative. In chapters 41, 42, right here, in 43, verse 1, and even later. In fact, in Acts chapter 7, verse 11, Stephen recounts it that this very fact happened, that the famine was so severe that this is what compelled Jacob to seek for help elsewhere. And then, upon discovery of Joseph being there, the ruler of Egypt, that they migrated to the land of Egypt. The, the famine is genuinely severe and a cause of, of danger for them. So much so, verse 2 says, so it came about when they had finished eating the grain. They finished eating the grain, and this would have been one of the staples of their diet to eat like that. And when it says they finished, it wasn't just the 12 sons and a couple of members of the family and all. It was actually 70 persons, according to 46.27, Genesis 46.27, there were a total of 70 persons who needed to be sustained by the food. So whatever they were able to bring the first time was finished and finished within a two-year period. We know it was finished within a two-year period because in chapter 45, when, it, uh, when they do meet Joseph and they reveal each other, uh, Joseph reveals himself to them, it says in 45 verse 6, For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. In this case, they were desperate. Desperate with the lack uh, of grain. So, the father, Jacob, or Israel here, in, called Israel in this part of the chapter, he tells them to go back and buy a little food. Problem is, which Judah brings up, and we notice in verses 3 and 8, Judah is the spokesman for the brothers at this point. The text does not say exactly why Judah is the speaker. Um, Simeon, of course, older than Judah, he could not have been the speaker because he's a prisoner in Egypt. And because of Reuben's adultery, perhaps he might not have had much 
favor in the eyes of his father. Well, Judah is here speaking up. Judah is also perhaps speaking up because he was guilty of the plot to sell him um, like that. He was guilty of it back in chapter 37. Whatever reason, Judah is here showing some determination to do the right thing now. He did the wrong thing before. He's now determined to do the right thing. So he presents their dilemma. Verse 3, that they were not to see the face of Joseph. And Joseph warned them clearly, solemnly, that they could not see him again unless they brought their youngest brother. Presumably as a test, and it was a test, but also in terms of him um, showing uh, or trying to see the faithfulness and the honesty of the brothers and how they were taking care of each other and also fulfilling their promise. So don't, you cannot see my face unless your brother Benjamin is with you. Verse 4, if you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food. But if you do not send him, we will not go down. How can they go? Because it would be futile for them to go, waste time and money and energy and food along the way when they won't be able to accomplish their goal. They knew that the ruler, Joseph, was serious about what he said. They would not be able to see him. Verse 6, Israel, Jacob, their father, says, Why did you treat me so badly? By telling the man whether you still had another brother. He takes it to mean a direct attack on, attack on him, the father. But they answer honestly, truthfully to their father, that the ruler asked us, Specifically, he asked us directly, how could we say anything else? We told him exactly what our family is all about, who they are and who's alive and things like that, because he asked us about all of that. And of course, they didn't know he would say, bring your brother also. There was no way for them to know any of that. So then Judah in verses 8 to 10 takes responsibility. He did not take responsibility in his mistreatment of Joseph in chapter 37. Now, he is taking responsibility and he says in verse 8, send the lad with me. Says to his father, send the lad with me. Now, he's calling Benjamin a lad. He was probably about 30 to 32 years old. And generally, either you are a young man, a lad, or you are an elder. Those are the two main categories. Either you're young or you're old. You're a lad or a young man, or you are an elder. And that's the typical division in the Old Testament. So he calls his younger brother, about 30 years old, a lad. Um, And we will rise and go that we may live and not die. We as well as you and our little ones. If they don't go for food and take the chance on this journey that everything will be well with them and their youngest brother, Benjamin, 
and be able to recover Simeon, if they don't take this chance, then everybody's going to die. So either they take the chance or not, because they all could die. Seventy of the members of their household. And further, he's taking personal responsibility in verses 9 and 10. I will be surety for him. You may hold me responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame before you forever. For if we had not delayed, surely by now we could have returned twice. For Judah to say you can hold me responsible must mean that for some time Judah has changed his own behavior so that his father would take his words seriously. Judah must have had some kind of change in his character, in his, um, the way he was before and the way he is now. For his father to trust this word that Judah, one of the oldest of the siblings, is announcing here. He's promising, you can hold me responsible forever. The, the scripture does not say in what sense he would be held responsible. But we have to take it seriously. That Jacob did actually take it seriously as well as Judah. Now in verses 11 to 15. The permission and commission of Jacob, Israel. Then their father... Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best products of the land in your bags and carry it down to the man as a present, a little balm and a little honey, aromatic gum and myrrh, pistachio, nuts, and almonds. Firstly, he says, some of the best products of the land. We want to have his favor. We want him to negotiate and (coughs) also to... Um, avert the possibility that he will be incensed at you because you still have the money from the first visit. So give him some of the best products of the land. Uh, This is not a new thing. Even Jacob himself did that with his brother Esau in chapters 32 and 33, earlier in the book of Genesis. In 32 and 33, before, after 20 years, Before Jacob met his brother Esau again, he prepared a very large gift to present to Esau before he actually saw his face so that there might be friendly relations between the two of them. Because Esau, 20 years before, wanted to murder his own brother. Now, in this case also, Israel or Jacob is saying, let's present this gift of some of the best products of our land, since Egypt is not known for these products, we are known for these products, and so let's present this as a gift. Verse uh, 12, And take double the money in your hand, and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Double the money. Why double the money? Um, It may be double the money for double the grain, or it may be double the money just in case they need to compensate for lost income, lost money for the sale. Because 
if they are accused of defrauding the ruler, then they could compensate for that defraud by paying more money. Perhaps that is the reason. It seems to me that that, that second reason is the, the actual reason because he doesn't want to get in trouble and have his pockets empty when the ruler says, well, this is the amount you should have paid, but now you owe me another amount or double the amount because you did not pay me rightfully the first time. That is likely the case. Um, then the final item to take is their own brother. Benjamin, verse 13. Take your brother also and arise, return to the man. Take him and also go. This has to be the last on his list because he's the most precious. So it's natural for him to mention him last. But that is the real issue, taking the youngest brother, Benjamin. Uh, Also, we know it's Benjamin because by the time we reach the last part of the chapter, it says in verse 29, As he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, he said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, May God be gracious to you, my son. And Joseph hurried out, for he was deeply stirred over his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. That is the brother that they took. All right, so these are the gifts or presents plus the brother, verses 11 to 13. But it's not as though it's just these objects or these, this person with these other objects, the presents. It's the favor of God that will make these usable or useful for their intended benefit. Right. Verse 14, and he pronounces this blessing prayer, wish, and may God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man that he may release to you your other brother and Benjamin. This is what he really wants. Compassion from God, God to move upon the ruler to have this compassion and to release their brother Simeon and also not exploit Benjamin, for Simeon and Benjamin to return. However, he's ready for the alternative. Verse 14, And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. If that has to happen, then God's will. I will accept that. 15. So the men took this present and they took double the money in their hand and Benjamin. Then they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. They do as they were told to do and they do what's necessary for their own survival. Now, let's review a a couple of these verses and highlight some of the points. 
First, that the famine was severe in the land in verse 1. Their dilemma, their predicament, is a serious one. We're not dealing with everyday circumstances. We're dealing with something that is very severe, something major. Let's establish that point because this is the context in which God is putting them. This is the dilemma that God has put on them. Correct? The famine did not come because of Mother Nature or because of the idols of Egypt. The famine came because of the Lord God who made heaven and earth. God Almighty, verse 14. It came because of Him. So, the severity of the famine... 4153. When the seven years of plenty which had been in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said, then there was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, you shall do. When the famine was spread over all the face of the earth, then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. And the people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. And all the earth means in all the earth in that region. So the neighboring nations were all desperate. They were all desperate and they heard that their neighbor, the Egyptians, had food. So they went there. Chapter 42, verse 5. 42.5. So the sons of Israel came to buy grain among those who were coming for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. There specifically we know it's in Canaan. Chapter 43, our chapter, also says it's in Canaan. Chapter 47, 47 and verse 13. This is after Jacob and and clan moved to Egypt. But still it's describing how bad things became. 47, 13. We'll read 37. Uh, 47, 13 to 26. 47, 13 says, Now there was no food in all the land because the famine was very severe so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent, In the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food, for why should we die in your presence? For our money is gone. They have no more money. 16. Then Joseph said, Give up your livestock, and I will give you food for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses and the flocks and the herds and the donkeys, and he fed them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent, and the cattle are my Lord's. Therefore, 
There is nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food. Buy us and our land for food. And we will and we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every Egyptian sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he removed them to the cities from one end of Egypt's border to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they lived off the allotment which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now, here is seed for you, and you may sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own for seed of the field and for your own for your food and for those of your households and as food for your little ones. So they said, You have saved our lives. They're happy about this. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. And Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, valid to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. Only the land of the priests did not become Pharaoh's. Can we imagine this? Have we ever experienced anything like this? A famine so severe that not only do you need to buy and trade, but you lose your money having done it so long. You lose money. You don't have enough money to keep buying and trading. Then they propose their livestock. Joseph buys their livestock. Then all their livestock is gone. And after all the livestock is gone owned by Joseph and Pharaoh, then they say, the only thing we have left are bodies in our lands. So we sell our bodies to you, meaning we become your slaves, and we sell our land to you. So who owned all the land of Egypt? Pharaoh. Pharaoh did. Pharaoh and Joseph owned all the land of Egypt, and all the people were slaves to them. All the people. And in the end, they are happy. Since when... It's not often, unless the slaves realize their condition, it's not often that the average slave looks at it this way. But they did. That shows how desperate the common people were because of the famine to become slaves of Pharaoh. This is not anything that we have ever experienced. None of us has experienced anything this torturous, this miserable in our life. So there is no room to complain. No room to complain, but only to trust God. Do what's right in the circumstance, according to the will of God, and then trust God. And speaking of trusting God, this is what we find in verses 11 to 15. In verses 11 to 15, first, let, uh, let us look at the present that is, the products, the money, and also Benjamin. That these are not to be seen as sinful, as wrong. Right. 
to give a gift to somebody that you intend to meet to make sure that there is a friendly relationship, a friendly dialogue in that relationship. That in and of itself is not a sinful thing. Now, if the motives are wrong, then it's sinful because you're trying to manipulate and maneuver um, the, the other in order to get your way. But if you're trying to have a right and a good godly outcome, then it's not wrong to present a gift like this. When we studied chapters 32 and 33, this is what we said about those chapters, that Jacob was not sinning in presenting a lavish, abundant gift to his brother Esau in advance of actually seeing him face to face because he wanted to make sure that there was peace and harmony between them and between their clans, between them and their clans to live together in such a way. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25. Abigail is mentioned here, and she's a godly woman. Her husband, a wicked woman, ungodly and even a fool. His name even means fool. Verse 25. 25, 25 calls him a fool and a worthless man. And what he did to the messengers of David so angered David that David was really uh, ready to massacre them. Abigail was not a part of that dialogue, but when she heard about that dialogue, she gathered a gift to present to David so that David would not massacre her and her people and everyone. And not only that, but David would have blood guilt. Right. He would have bloody hands for putting innocent people to death. They all didn't deserve to die for doing this. Even Nabal, being a wicked man he was, unrepentant wicked man, he didn't deserve to die for refusing to help the messengers of David. He didn't ref uh, deserve to die. But David was so angry, he was sinfully angry and about to murder them all. But what does she do in chapter 25, 27? 25... 27, it says, Now let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you all your days." And should anyone rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And it shall come about when the Lord shall do for my Lord according to all the good which he has spoken concerning you and shall appoint you ruler over Israel, that this will not cause grief or a troubled heart to my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause." And by my Lord having avenged himself. When the Lord shall deal well with my, uh, with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. And then David's response. He knows he's doing the right thing. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, 
who sent you this day to meet me, and blessed be your discernment, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you unless you had come quickly to meet me, surely there would not have been left to Nabal until the morning light as much as one who urinates against the wall, meaning a single man. So David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, Go up to your house in peace. See, I have listened to you and granted your request. He not only tells her that she's doing the right thing, she had the right perspective, but he took the gift from her. It assuaged his anger. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16, verses 14 and 15. Proverbs 16, verse 14. The wrath of a king is as messengers of death, but a wise man will appease it. In the light of a king's face is life, and his favor is like a cloud with the spring rain. It's good to have spring rain, correct? So, right here, a wise man will appease the wrath of a king, and his favor is like a cloud with the spring rain. It's better to do that, right? Well, how do we, or how could we, with a king or anyone else, obtain favor? Proverbs 18.16, 18.16. A man's gift makes room for him, and brings him before great men. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. In that way, it's not wrong. Not wrong at all. Then also, in verse 12, a part of what Jacob's answer is, provision for the gift, is to take double the money. Double the money. This may remind us of evidence of true repentance as found in Zacchaeus. Evidence of true repentance found in Zacchaeus. When he did truly repent, and the Lord acknowledged that upon his confession, he says, Luke 19, verse 8, 19, 8. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Exodus 22. Exodus 22. Verse 1. 22, verse 1. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall pay five oxen for the ox and four sheep 
for the sheep. Verse 4, 22-4. If what he stole is actually found alive in his possession, whether an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. Pay double. So these are truths found in Scripture that it is good and right if we have wronged anyone to be ready to compensate for the wrong committed against him. Then we also found that Jacob, he resorts or he relies on, he trusts in the will of God for his life. And we saw that in verse 14. May God Almighty grant you compassion in the sight of the man that he may release to you your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. I might be bereaved, but I may not be bereaved. I will depend on God. And whatever God wants, whatever God does, I will be ready to accept it. Another place in Scripture where we find this is Daniel 3. Daniel chapter 3, 16 to 18. Daniel 3, 16. The friends of Daniel, when they refused to worship the idol of Nebuchadnezzar, the the idol that Nebuchadnezzar had erected, when they refused to do it, the threat was being thrown into fire. Correct? Thrown into fire. Well, they are confronted, given another opportunity by Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 3.16 to do it. But this is their answer to that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And if they don't worship it, Nebuchadnezzar, will throw them into the fire, which he did. Yeah. He, th- he threw them into the fire in the subsequent paragraph. He did punish them in that way. But the mindset of these men is, God is able to deliver us. Like Jacob said, may God Almighty grant you compassion. God is able to deliver us. But even if he does not, I will take the consequences. I will do the right thing with the circumstances delivered to me. I will do the right thing. And whatever God wants to do as a consequence of me doing the right thing, let him do it. It might be good that comes afterwards or it might be evil that comes afterwards. You might punish me. You might put me to death. Either way, I will accept the will of God. Accepting the will of God is also what Job understood in the book of Job. Job understood it after he lost most of what belonged to him. 
after he lost all of that, he was willing to confide in and trust the will of God. Job 1.20 Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Then, in chapter 2, Job was afflicted with illness. And also, uh, a sinful, sour response from his wife. The one who should have supported him the most is against him the most now. And this is what she says. Chapter 2, verse 9. 9, and his response in verse 10. Chapter 2, 9. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Whatever the outcome, positive or negative, pleasant or unpleasant, the main issue is doing the will of God, having faith in God, and trusting that He will do whatever is good in His sight. Whatever might be the outcome. It may be good, and it was that way. In this case, in in Jacob's case, it turned out to be good. In the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it didn't initially turn out good. They were thrown into the fire. But immediately, once that command was issued, immediately Nebuchadnezzar noticed that nothing was happening to them. Which means, as soon as Nebuchadnezzar issued the command, sooner than that, God had already planned to deliver them. Instantly deliver them. Instantly, because... They didn't have any damage to their clothing. They didn't have even the smell or stench of smoke when they were pulled out. Nothing like that happened. God helped them. God may help. He may not help. He may not help and it might end up in our death. It might happen that way. It happened that way with the Apostle Paul. But he wasn't discouraged. He said in 2 Timothy 4.18... But the Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Safely into his heavenly kingdom. It didn't happen that way with Stephen. When Stephen was being stoned to death in Acts chapter 7, what does he say in 759? He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Right? Receive my spirit. In Acts chapter 7, read the last section from 53 to 60. That's when he says that. He trusted that he would be with Christ, though he was being put to death at the time that the stones are being hurled against him. He's trusting that he'll be safe. His soul will be safe. That might happen to us, but it may not happen to us. What God really wants is our obedience. Trusting Him, having faith, and doing things the right way, doing things His way, not our way. Do things His way and be pleasing to Him. Second Chronicles 31, 20. 
2 Chronicles 31, 20 to 21. May this be said of us. 2 Chronicles 31, 20. And thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah. And he did what was good, right, and true before the Lord his God. And every work which he began in the service of the house of God, in law and in commandment, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. Amen. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.